One Hope Church. All right, good morning, good morning. That's what we're talking about. Get a little bit of excitement here. Um, so, last week was Mother's Day. Another shout out to all the moms. Yes, yes, indeed. And I preached a really long time to give uh, our moms a chance at greater sanctification, um, along with some dads in the car, too. <laughs> so, that's a little joke from uh, if you were going to give me a hard time about that, which I appreciate. Always going to appreciate giving a hard time. Um, but this morning, we're not going to go too far. We're just in John chapter 12. We're just going to hit the first 11 verses. I'm going to try to save the next marathon message um, for Father's Day. So go ahead and plan to bring a lunch with you that day and uh, be ready. So we'll just plan on that. Um, it's funny because at that same time that we were joking about that, a friend of mine posted about the length of services that, you know, he did a survey, how long do people want the the messages to be as part of the Sunday you know, morning service. And there's a percentage, it's like a bell curve. There's some of you, a very small percentage of you that prefer like 15 minutes or less. Uh, and then there's about the same number, about 12% of you prefer an hour or more. You know, and I, I tend to try to help out those folks sometimes. <laughs> but then there's the, the middle, the 20 to 40 minute range is kind of the... The, what the majority of people prefer. Um, it's also interesting that about 50% of people say that the preaching at their church does not match their preference. So I guess it's not the biggest deal in the world. <laughs> but um, love you all this morning. John chapter 12, the first 11 verses. Let's pray and then we'll read 1 through 8. So Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have um, to worship you in spirit and in and in truth. Thank you for your love, your goodness to us, God. Help us this morning um, just to to live for you and to honor you um, and to seek that each and every day of our lives. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. In Jesus, you are worthy of all honor and praise. Thank you for the privilege to know you and worship you this morning. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So it said, Jesus, therefore six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so if you remember from last week, we looked at this event where Lazarus was sick. They sent word for Jesus to come and help. Jesus intentionally waits so that Lazarus will will die so that he can raise him from the dead, so that he can show to his disciples that he is who he says he is, that he does have all authority and power. And then, um, where we finished off in chapter 11, it says he goes you know, back kind of into the desert. It's not too far from the Passover. And now he is, in chapter 12, he is back in Bethany where he was before. And it says in verse 2, so they made him a supper there. And Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to, the, to poor people? And he, now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And so, again, we have this scene, and we have our, our you know, our major characters. Of, of course, Jesus is the center of the of the of the scripture, and of all of history. And then we have uh, Lazarus and um, his sisters Mary and Martha, and then we have Judas Iscariot the one who would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Um, But you have this scene, we know from the book of Mark that they're actually not in Lazarus um, and the family home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They're in the house of Simon the leper. And apparently, you know, Jesus, this is someone whom Jesus had, had healed, but he's still referred to as Simon the leper because he had had leprosy. And then... Um, you know, there needs to be a distinction between that, you know, that Simon and you know Simon Peter, um, and and as we see in the scripture, just like today, you know, we have multiple people with the same name. You know, you say, "Hey, I was talking to John," and if you both have mutual friends, a bunch of mutual friends that are named John, you're going to say, "Which John? Right? Uh, which which Mark? Which Jenny? Which which Susie? You know that sort of thing." Um, and even with Mary, here we have multiple Marys um, in the scripture. Um, you have Mary, the mother of Jesus. You have Mary Magdalene. You have Mary of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You have the other Mary. You have Mary, the wife of Cleopas. <laughs> You've got a lot of Marys. You know, and, you, and as you're reading, sometimes you can get kind of confused on, like, well, which Mary is it talking about here? So again, we're with Mary um, and Martha and the and Lazarus, that family um, unit in the house of Simon the leper. Um, and so Lazarus is there um, at the table, reclining. He's in good health. Um, and Jesus is there. And then it says, Mary comes, and said verse 3, it says she took a about a pound of a very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's such a powerful scene. You see Mary's love and care um, for, for Jesus. And we're not... You know, completely certain the full sense of, of you know, how much she knows of, of what's happening, what's going to be happening in the coming days um, with his crucifixion and, and resurrection, what the future holds. But we see her great love. We see um, her making this extravagant um, use of a very costly perfume. This, this nard, this spike nard, came from a, a rare plant found in the Himalayan mountains. 
Uh, now think about what it would have taken to have getting that to get that perfume. You know, somebody had to go up one of these high mountains in the Himalayas and find um, the root, this plant, and, and get at the root of it, and then it had to get transported three thousand miles to where she could buy it. Now, Bethany was a couple of, of miles from Jerusalem, so she probably you know purchased it. Um, you know, in Jerusalem, at uh, you know, at a at a a, a place of, of that would have dealt in expensive, you know, you know, perfumes and perhaps you know expensive garments and things of that nature. Um, but you know, all of the the labor and all of the time that it took to get you know this this spikenard you know from the Himalayan mountains to Jerusalem. And all the hands are probably transferred. Well, every time it touches somebody's hands, somebody's going to want to make some money off of it, right? <laughs> and so, by the time it, call, it, it makes it to Jerusalem, it's rare, it's expensive, it's hard to get. It's a year's salary. A year's wages for this spikenard that she has. Now, I want you to imagine taking... A year's worth of your wages and buying a perfume with it so that you can anoint the feet of Jesus and use your hair to wipe his feet. Imagine yourself. In that role, is that, you know, I think the question that it, that it brings for me this morning and, and I think to each one of us, is my heart towards Jesus that type of, with that type of love and that type of extravagance? You know, do I, do I love Jesus in that way where that's what I would want to do? Where I would want to give him the best that I had and anoint his feet? And it says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, it's interesting in Scripture, um, you know, fragrance is important. You know, you go back to the Old Testament and you had the, the incense, you know, in the temple and the, and the altar. And then we're told in the book of Revelation that, you know, the prayers of God's people, the prayers of the saints are an incense before God. Our prayers give off uh, an aroma for, for God to enjoy. In, in Corinthians, it talks about how followers of Jesus are um, basically a, a fragrance. And to those who are in the process of being saved, to those who are coming to Jesus, who want to know the Lord, we smell great to them because they're like, hey, there's life there that smells like life. I want to be I want to be there. But to those who are rejecting Jesus, it says, you know, we're the same. We smell like life to some, but it says we smell like death to others. There's a stench. There's a get away from me. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But then notice this, Judas Iscariot who was going to betray Jesus 
he makes an accusation. Why wasn't this perfume sold? You know, why wasn't it sold for a year's wages worth? Why, why wasn't it sold if, you know, we could have given it to the poor? Now, we know what his motivations were. You know, his motivation wasn't to give it to the poor, or at least not all of it, because he had the money box and he would pocket some of it for himself. See, like when he had, when he was, had that responsibility, that responsibility became a temptation. And instead of giving up the responsibility or asking Jesus for help, he gives in to the temptation and he has been a thief. He's been stealing. He's been taking what did not belong to him, but was for the, to be used for the good of the whole and to be used to help others. But Jesus said, let her alone. You know, basically he says that she's done this in preparation of his burial. You know, there's usually we, you know, in, in these days, if, if somebody passed away and, and the, the friends and, and relatives had money um, or could, could collect some, they would they would put um, the, the spices, the spices and the perfumes on, on the body so they wouldn't smell and they would honor the person in that way. We see that after the death of Jesus, uh, that this is done. But it's not normal to do this in preparation while the person's still alive. Um, and even then, it wouldn't have been normal. We need to be very clear. It would not have been normal to use spikenard, which would cost a year's worth of wages, you know, unless... Um, you know, the, the person was really highly esteemed and people around had, had resources to be able to do that sort of thing. But here, before his death, it's in preparation she does this. And Jesus says this, he says, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now we need to talk about this verse, verse 8, because um, it's a one of those verses that is often um, misused and abused as if Jesus is saying not to help the poor. Well, that's a really poor interpretation. Basically, like, well, you're always going to have poor people, so, you know, what's the point in even trying? That's a really bad, poor interpretation or, or misuse um, of that verse. What Jesus is saying here, again, has to do with, with priority and that he is is going to be he is the priority and this is a unique opportunity and time that Mary has and it's not one of those things that is an ongoing opportunity it is it is very limited in scope and what she did is is good and was appreciated by Jesus and there is a lesson there in terms of practical application because you know, many of us have a heart of, you know, we want to help those who are suffering. We want to help, you know, those who are destitute. We want to help people not to starve, or we want to help people to have the medicine that they need, or we want to help see people be freed from slavery. But if we're going to have the power and the wisdom to do such things, we have to be at the feet of Jesus. That's where we start. You want to serve 
you know, the world, you want to make a difference with your, with your life for the world, well, you start at the feet of Jesus. That's the only proper starting point. And that's the point, place that we need to start every day, is at the feet of Jesus. And I'm sure, like me, many of us are convicted that we don't spend enough time at the feet of Jesus. But that's where, that's where the source is. If we want to do the most good, we have to start there. You know, there's also that scene, not here, but in another place with Mary and Martha. And it's Mary again at the feet of Jesus, and it's Martha serving. And, you know, Martha is serving here, and, and you know, there's no statement about, you know, she had made a bad choice or anything like that. It's something that needed to be done. And there is, you know, Martha's serving was necessary. If Martha doesn't serve, you know, nobody's going to eat, right? But between these two sisters, I think we have we get the full picture as we see the different scenes of their different aspects and different scenes of their life. But the lesson for us is we start at the feet of Jesus so that then we can go and serve. You know, you need to be like Martha before you're like and be like Mary before you're like Martha. Be at the feet and then go and serve. And and the temptation for us so many times, you know, especially when we're busy, is we say, you know, well, I don't have time for that. I don't have an, I don't have the time because I've got X, Y, and Z to do, and I know how long that's going to take. So, you know, I, I'm just going to be really quick with all, with my prayer or read a verse and go. Well, certainly, don't get me wrong. That's that's better than nothing. But. When I look at the combination of people who are the most, you know, like Jesus and the busiest, when you find that combination, the most like Jesus and the busiest, what you find is they take the time to spend at the feet of Jesus. Many of them will tell you, because I'm busy, because I have so much work to do, I have to make sure to start and spend time, more time, at the feet of Jesus. Because I have so many responsibilities, or the nature of my responsibilities are great, because of that, by necessity, I have to make the time to spend at the feet of Jesus first. And I have to give at that time and protect that time. We cannot, if we're using busyness as an excuse for a lack of time at the feet of Jesus, we've missed the point, missed the picture, and we've got to change our mindset and our attitude. Certainly Jesus was not teaching us to ignore the need of the poor. How do we know this? Well, first of all, Jesus spent much of his ministry ministering to the poor. Now, he wasn't just concerned about their physical needs. He was also concerned about their spiritual well-being. He was concerned about the whole person, as we must be. 
Jesus is big enough for the whole person. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. Jesus is for the whole person. And when we're in His name serving others, we need to care about the whole person. Some people will say, well, we just need to take care of their physical needs. Well, that cheapens the ministry of Jesus. Some people say, well, we only need to concern, be concerned about the spiritual needs. Well, that ignores the pattern of Jesus and how he approached people. We need to be, it's not an either or, it's a all of the above, like the whole person. We need to care about the whole person. But what Jesus is telling us is, his disciples in that instance is that you are always going to have opportunity to to help, but, but him being on the earth in human flesh at that time was a limited opportunity. So the reality of it today for us is that just like times of Jesus, here we are 2,000 years later, and there are many poor people. There are many who need help. And as we are dealing with the, with this, you know, unprecedented in some ways, but let's not take that, uh, well, I don't want to use that word unprecedented. People have dealt with Spanish flu and all, all sorts of things in the past, so I don't want to use that word. But for us, in our generation, we, we haven't had to deal with it. And this global, you know, type of level... And there's that tension between, you know, the physical health and what can happen because of the virus. And, and there's the other tension of what happens when, you know, people might die of other things or might, might literally starve to death with, with the economies being shut down. Folks, again, keeping things in perspective and, and giving thanks if, you know, we have some people joining in with us from different parts of the, of the world this, this morning. Uh, but in the United States, you know, most of us, we ha- well, we all have a certain level of safety net. And things have to get real, 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 real bad for us before any of us are at the risk of starving to death. But still, in so many countries, in so many places around the world, there's a simple, there's a simple equation. And it's if you don't work or... family, if someone in your family can't work, you're not going to eat. Those safety nets don't exist. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to be thankful for what we have, but we also need to be wise in our stewardship of our resources so that we're, we, we have the ability to help when things get really bad when things are really bad and you know when we look at our world today there are places where things are really really bad 
and, and we need to be mindful in asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do to help? And the amazing thing about the Lord is, you know, the, the, the Lord wants us all involved, whether we're just a little, you know, the little boy with, with, with five loaves and two fish, or the widow with two mites, or like Mary here, with the ability to give a year's wages and still be okay. You know, whatever your situation is, the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord cares about our hearts in, in, our, in our generosity. And I think that when the Lord looks at the heart, He is well pleased with the heart of Mary and her expensive perfume. And He is well pleased at the heart of the widow with her two small coins. And he is pleased with the heart of the boy who willingly gives up his two fish and five loaves. But each one, as we have the ability, we should be generous. And the more we have, the more generous we should be. It's obvious that Jesus values generosity. So when we contrast, you know, we're going to contrast Mary and, and Judas in a, just for a minute in a, in a second, but I, w- I want to say one more thing about this. The scripture tells us not to grow weary in doing good. And sometimes to us, it can feel fruitless. We say, well, you know, we want to solve you know, poverty, but there's still poor people. We want to solve slavery, but there's still people who are enslaved. We want to stop this injustice or that injustice, but it's still happening. Don't grow weary. Keep doing good, knowing that that good matters. Because if it matters in the life of one, it is of tremendous value. You know, that one whose life is saved or spared, you know, thanks to those who didn't give up. Thanks to those who say, who didn't say, well, there's no purpose and no point. And I know we can be jaded. We can be jaded by, you know, people who abuse this generosity. People who take advantage. People who will take from you so they can be selfish with the with other things that they are they, they do have. People who will you know lie about their their case and their state. So I want us to, to understand and to to be firm and that our job is to be obedient to Jesus you know, no matter what. Our job is to be obedient to Jesus, regardless of any situation. We do the best we can in obedience to Jesus, and that is our role. That is our job. Please don't be at the judgment seat of Christ when the you know, it's like, what did you do with the gifts and opportunities that the Lord gave you for God's glory and say, well, I just got discouraged. 
And I didn't think it would do much good, so I just kind of gave up. Man, none of us want to be at the feet of Jesus saying, I gave up. We want to be at the feet of Jesus saying, I gave everything that I had for your glory. I tried. I tried hard, Lord. I tried hard. In verse 9, it says, the loud, a loud, large crowd, sorry, a large crowd, not a loud crowd, a large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there and they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but they might also see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. You know, they want to see, the, is there proof, is there evidence, what Jesus is saying. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, you know, many of the Jewish people were going away and were believing in Jesus, meaning that they were leaving the religious system of the Pharisees and they were beginning to follow Jesus. They decided that Jesus was the fulfillment of what you know the old law had promised and that the new was here. And so they were willing to leave a system that betrayed the purpose of God. And, and betrayed the the reality of God for to keep, just to keep its own self going and maintaining. And they were beginning to follow Jesus. But then Lazarus is now in the crosshairs. You know, it's kind of like, well, what did he do? Well, all he did was get raised from the dead. You know, he got sick and he got raised from the dead. He didn't really have... A whole lot of saying all that, but now he he's in jeopardy. But I guess for him, he's like, "Well, I've been dead before, <laughs> you know. Might as well stay stick with Jesus." Hey, listen, if you're with Jesus, you've been dead before. You've been separated from God in your trespasses and sins. You were. You were dead in your sins and now you're alive in Jesus. You were dead before, so to die for Jesus or to die with Jesus. That's okay. That's all right. And so you might put yourself at risk. You might have a price to pay of some kind if you're associated with Jesus. Because, yes, it's true that the safest place you can be is in the hand of God. And it's also true at the same time that being with Jesus isn't safe. If you're a fan of C.S. Lewis and the line, The Witch of the Wardrobe, you, you know what I'm talking about. He's good, but he isn't safe. Let's be committed to him and as Brother Derek comes back up and leads us in a couple more songs and if you have your communion with you at home or in your vehicles this morning, and take the bread and the cup and remember Jesus and what he did for us and I just encourage you to do that um, but first at his feet and saying Lord just simple this morning just Lord I love you I love you Jesus and just worship him Heavenly Father we thankful, so thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten that you sent Jesus for us 
to die on the cross for our sins and to be risen from the dead. And we're thankful that one day all who call on His name will be able, in, even in a physical sense, to be able to worship at His feet. To worship at Your feet, Jesus. Let it be our desire to give You thanks as we take the bread and the cup. May it be our desire just to be at Your feet, Jesus. To worship You. To anoint Your feet with our tears. And to say thank You and that we love You. Jesus, we love You and praise You. In Your precious name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.